one. One, two, one, two, one, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. Hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba, and all the universal greetings that we try and remember. Mm-hmm. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 228 on Sunday, the 24th of April, 2022. We're back from our Easter recess and have to be here, although I am rather stressed. <laughs> I must admit I've been rather stressed out tonight because everything seems to be going fucking wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, happy uh, for you to be joining us. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Matt. <laughs> Amish Ben's... Uh, he, he knew, he foretold <laughs> yeah. that something horrible and horrendous was going to happen tonight, so he's bailed. Yeah. But um, but never mind, because we've got Robert Frederick with us here from the Hidden Life is Best podcast. How are you doing, Robert? Greetings. Uh, very good. Very good. Glad to be with you. Yeah, I mean, we were talking on the, on the email earlier, and um, this sort of period of history that your podcast focuses on this sort of um sort of area francis bacon around um Mm -hmm. the restoration of the monarchy and well a bit earlier and and uh, Mm -hmm. there's all this stuff going on like the gunpowder plot and the black death and the invisible unbelievable i i was i'm like a complete novice but i'm i was like i was saying to you i'm completely got the bug now for this this period of history it's amazing but it's incredibly yeah. complicated, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got like these I mean, religious, knew... like there's like the sectarian stuff, and then there's the things with foreign <sighs> influences and foreign powers and spy networks, and uh, I just uh, I really struggle to get my head around incredible. it. Yeah, it's really hard. It's uh, it's just a vast amount of information. I I prefer to call it the Tudor era, and um, smack. It's really what I'm talking about is the end of the Tudor era. So Bacon was born in 1561, and uh, historians call it early modern, early modern London. And that's a map of early modern London on the screen. It's a really cool website. It's called Agas London. It's interactive, so you can click on London Wall, and you get that wall. And over to the left is Whitehall where the queen lived. Oh. And in the middle is where Bacon was born at a place called York House. And I think this map was drawn a little earlier than that or, or around that time. But he was born pretty much in the palace, and the rumor started right away um, that he was the son of the Virgin Queen Elizabeth. Oh. And they were put to rest right away, uh, quite brutally. Apparently, some people lost their tongues or their ears, or Ooh. you couldn't you couldn't chat about it. But there's a, any number of clues and uh, circumstantial evidence that actually he was he was a tutor himself. And the Tudors are fascinating, and this whole period is fascinating because it was still had a foot in the medieval world. They were still jousting. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right there at, at Whitehall Palace. They had a jousting court. <laughs> and they were still brutally executing people in public in the city of London, like horrible public executions. Mm. But it was the early modern era. The Renaissance was in full swing in Italy. It had come to London and there was music and poetry and the theater had started. And Francis Bacon himself is credited with being the beginning of what's called the Enlightenment era, which followed the Renaissance, Age of Reason. So in a way, Bacon had his foot in all three worlds. And yeah, what was going on there in Tudor London is really, really incredible. And I, I'm not a historian or anything, but I do think that Tudor London was kind of the equivalent of Athens, Greece, and you know Florence, Italy. Oh, because it's so because it's been so uh, influential in the preceding yeah. years. It's like a, a sea change moment. Sea change. That is a word invented by Shakespeare, I found out, because I've been oh. digging into the tempest. Oh, right. And uh, sea change, yeah. Those were pearls that were his eyes. Full Fathom Five, Thy Father Lies. Those were pearls. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Something, something, something. He suffered a sea change. But mm-hmm. this era right there, that Tudor era, the world started changing the world. You know, and the British Empire really began in that era. And as you mentioned, the Rosicrucian manifestos came out just after the Tudor era. They came out 1614. The Tudor era ended in 1603 when Elizabeth died. But the, the ball got rolling there. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the conquest of the States had begun with Sir Walter Raleigh and he's one of the geniuses, you know, of Tudor London with Sir Walter Raleigh, which is a crazy story in and of itself. But the British empire began right there amongst many other things got started in Tudor London. And it's just incredible what, what happened, what, what, what came out of London in the next two or 300 years. It's mind boggling. And the interactions there, which, of course, involved the uh, Protestant church and breaking away from the Catholic church, uh, the beginning of, of modern espionage with Walsingham. But Bacon was involved in, in that very heavily. And, uh, yes, <laughs> so, I didn't know anything about it. I never paid any attention to the, uh, you know, the royalty of England. I always, like, poo-pooed it, like, who cares? But, man, you start scratching, and it's, it's really intense. Yeah, so so is Bacon? I'm trying to think of who he was sort of contemporaneous with. What what about the other characters like John Dee and and Francis Walsingham and who who were, yeah. would he have been like? All, those his, guys. Yeah. all of them. They're, so they're all knocking about. They're all sort of in the same. Yep. yep. Uh, Christopher Marlowe. Oh yeah, the play, uh, uh, William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Nash. Thomas Kidd. Sir Walter Raleigh, John D. Francis Drake. Uh, this, mm-hmm. Drake. There's a guy named Thomas Harriet, who's unknown today, but he was an incredible mathematician and linguist and was at uh, Roanoke Colony, Raleigh's Colony. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is quite brilliant. Mary Sidney, Philip Sidney. Uh, Essex, the Earl of Essex. 
Robert Dudley, Bacon's purported father, and the Cecils, William oh. Cecil and Robert Cecil. Right. So the book There's I'm incredible cast of characters, yeah. I was just gonna say the book I'm reading at the moment, which is a bit like a biography of Francis Walsingham, William Cecil yeah. features very prominently in that. He was known as Lord Burley as well. I think yeah. the Queen gave her the title yeah. Lord Burley. And they seem to be like um like a tag team. Like they they them two yeah. seem to have been pretty much running the country on behalf yeah. of the Queen. Do you get that sort of impression? It gives you that impression that the people who you think are in power maybe aren't actually pulling the strings. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I think Cecil, <laughs> William Cecil was the most powerful man in England. And they somehow hooked up with the Queen when she first took the throne. They had known each other. And uh, she tapped him to be uh, not Secretary of State. What's the, you know, the head of the government there? And her story is mind-boggling. That whole progression that went from, you know, Henry VIII to Edward, Lady Jane Grey, Bloody Mary, and then Elizabeth. I mean, it shouldn't have happened. She was kind of a long way from the throne. Do you think um, maybe people who were friendly with Elizabeth, maybe some of these figures like Cecil, maybe had a hand in orchestrating her rise to the throne? Apparently, apparently not. Apparently not. Bloody Mary just got sick. I mean, unless they poisoned her. That's what, yeah. We just don't And know. I'm not sure about Lady Jane Grey. She didn't even want to be queen. She got manipulated into becoming queen and lasted nine days. And she did have a, a power base... So they had to cut off her head. I'm not real clear on all of that. She didn't even want to be queen, but, you know, there was much jostling. Yeah, and, um, and the Mary Queen of Scots Mary. Is, is involved as well. And then she had a power base, and she had a claim to the throne. But it was also Elizabeth was was quite brilliant. And she she had seen the inner workings of government, since a little girl, she lost her mother. Her mother lost her head. And she watched Henry VIII govern, and she knew how the world worked. She was brilliant, apparently. She read and wrote in Latin flawlessly. They were all really well-educated. They had read all the Latin, all the Greek. Mm. They knew math. They... uh, history, theology, the education of the aristocrats in uh, in early modern London was really, really strong. I mean, one of the They're things... All really smart. Sorry to interrupt. One of the things that you mentioned no. on your podcast, The Hidden Life is Best, is that it seems like, in your opinion, Francis Bacon was probably the most brilliant man who ever lived. I think so. I mean, I uh, just to explain that to The guy us. that ever lived. Yeah, I think he's the most influential person that ever lived. And I didn't know much about him. It's going on like two or three years. I, he was on my radar. I was curious. And I had this stupendous synchronicity. I was watching a video about, the, about Jamestown and some of the maps that came out of Jamestown. And Jamestown is the first successful English colony in America. It's the 
was started in 1606. And I'm just watching this video, and it was on a river called the Susquehanna. It comes up through New York, and I lived on the Susquehanna River when I was in college. So it was kind of curious to me. Yeah, it's fascinating details. And then the guy said Francis Bacon was a key player in the founding of Jamestown. And I was just kind of thunderstruck. It's just another thing that Bacon was involved in. And I, uh, I won't go into the whole details of the synchronicity, but I had randomly thrown a book on my bed thinking I'd never looked at this book. I bought it on the street 10 years ago. And it had nothing to do with the Susquehanna or even history or anything. And I opened the book after I had written this email to my friend who had gone to college with me on the Susquehanna. And I said, oh, man, you got to see this video. And Francis Bacon was involved in Francis Bacon, Francis Bacon, blah, 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 blah. And I finished the email, shut off the computer, pick up the book, open it randomly. And near the bottom of one of the pages at the end of the book, for some reason, I looked there and my eyes fell on the words Francis Bacon. And the book is called The Roots of Coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> and I was just thunderstruck. And so I wrote the synchronicity off to Grimerica because they were collecting synchronicities. Oh, what, what score did you get? You know, this is before they were given scores. Oh, man. Preschool. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, not there. And uh, I got a seven for mine. Yeah. You know, just saying. You got a seven? <laughs> yeah. Not to brag, right? But that's pretty high from Darren. <laughs> so I thought I just have to, I have to follow this up. I have to look into Francis Bacon. And that's how I got into it. And then there's a whole world of Francis Bacon. Like people start going down this rabbit hole and they, you know, they go crazy. The first person that did it was Delia Bacon, who was an American woman. She was an actress and she was doing Shakespeare. And she thought, there's no way these plays were popular and there's no way this uneducated country boy wrote these plays. And so she started digging in and she really started the modern Baconian was Shakespeare theory. Right, that's a good. Uh, she literally went mad. <laughs> she 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 died in London, I think, in a what in a madhouse. What, what's the the sort of evidence, Robert, for William Shakespeare being the author? Like none. <laughs> <laughs> there must be something. It's incredible. It's incredible. So that got me into this. Uh, was I heard a podcast? And the guy said the only written evidence we have of William Shakespeare from Stratford are six signatures, three of which were on his will. There's absolutely nothing else in his handwriting. There's no manuscripts of the plays, no manuscripts of the poems. There's not one letter written from him to anyone. There's not one letter written to him from anyone, not one. And this is an age of, you know, constant letter writing. Well, I mean, why would you write a letter to someone to, to someone who's illiterate? <laughs> so gives it away, apparently, really. Well, apparently he couldn't read or write. His daughter on her marriage certificate had to sign an X. Um, there appears to have been no books in his home. There's no mention of books in his will. There's no evidence he ever went to school. 
it just goes on and on and on like that. And recently a woman, an American scholar named Diana Price, wrote a book called The Shakespeare Authorship Question. And there's a half-hour video on YouTube where she decided, let me, let me just go in and really examine it. Because people say, well, how much evidence do you have about Christopher Marlowe or Thomas Kidd or Thomas Nash and what's really available for anyone? So she dug in and, you know, did a whole spreadsheet on it. And she said, well, there's evidence for everyone else and there's none for William Shakespeare. Like literally almost none. And what evidence there is, is all secondhand. There's like almost nobody talked about him as a playwright at that time or knew him as a playwright, or mentioned him as a playwright. There's almost not, no firsthand evidence. All there really is is that what's called the first folio, mm. a giant book of all 36 plays that came out um, seven years after Shakespeare died and three years before Francis Bacon died. Wow. I mean, it's quite yeah, staggering to think that the world's greatest playwright wouldn't teach his own daughter how to read and write. Yeah. It doesn't make the evidence sense. becomes overwhelming if you're if you're open minded to it. And people that have you know, academics that have bought the story just can't accept it. It's just too mind blowing for them to think like, I Oh, just, we've been fooled. It's been four hundred years I was of just being fooled and lied to. But if you come to it fresh, you're like, Yeah, how could this guy have written the plays? Especially if you know the plays, they're really dense. Yeah, I was just wondering really, what, what's the kind of um, I was going to say the play, but what's the uh, the gain by sort of having somebody else being the real author of these plays and letting uh, him have the uh, um, well, credit. there you go. What is the there you go? That's I just want to say one more thing. Mark Twain uh, wrote a book then in 1908 called "Is Shakespeare Dead?" and it's very funny, and he was kind of angry about it because uh, he's a commoner genius because one of the one of the pushbacks is like oh you don't think a common lad could could be a genius you only believe in like educated genius well mark twain was a genius and he was a commoner i think he barely went to school mm. and he was a writer and so he analyzed the whole thing from the point of view of a writer mm-hmm. and if this commoner from stratford wrote these plays he found that very odd because there's not a single mention of Stratford. There's not a single mention of barely any common people, you know, and you write what you know. Right. And so a lot he, of the Shakespeare plays are like, you need to be classically educated. Yeah, you know, yeah. Julius Caesar, yeah. Antony and Cleopatra. Mm. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the plays came from Italian plays that hadn't even been translated. So you would have had to spoken Italian. Some of them were Latin. Right, of course. He would have had to know Latin really well. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Ben Johnson's another genius who was running around Tudor London. So that's the question. And then Baconites say, well, you couldn't be a aristocrat and write plays. It was considered beneath an aristocrat. An aristocrat oh, couldn't I work see. for money. These are very high-ranking people in the in the peerage in the gentry so they say that they had to keep it hidden and that's their only excuse but i'm thinking 
because I came to the whole thing pretty late. And what I've decided is that Bacon had to do it in a hidden way, and they all did if they were aristocrats, but he was doing it in order to unify the English people behind the Tudors, because one of the things that's a standard of Shakespeare scholarship is that the history plays, there's 10 history plays, Richard II, Richard III, Henry IV, Henry VI. They're all obviously pro-Tudor. They all obviously give the message that, you know, the Tudor line is the line. And, you know, that's what we, they, they, they bolster the Tudor claim to the throne. They're propaganda. History plays are basically propaganda especially a Richard III, where they make him out to be this psychotic (laughs) dictator criminal, because that's the guy that Henry VII took power from. So he's especially, that's especially propagandistic, but they all are. And they're brilliant. They're brilliant as propaganda. And they, they worked. They, they really helped make the English people very patriotic and it and makes was sorry, but, sorry. It makes sense in the historical context in that you know Elizabeth was very vulnerable at different points, and like you, you mentioned, the, the sort of internecine, is that the word? Sort of um, you know the threat from Mary Queen of Scots or the threat from yeah. the uh, Papists, as they called them, yep. you know, from Rome oh, or yeah. from Spain, Spanish yep. Armadas at this time as well. Yeah. So, oh yeah, big time. She was very vulnerable. They yeah. were. That's why they became the greatest spies of all time. That's where it started, right there. This modern espionage started. Yeah, the Walsingham uh, was a genius. Cecil too. The James Bond music plays a, a key part in your podcast. <laughs> yeah, because well, well, John D yeah. was 007. You know that, right? Yeah, the first. That's, that's become st- common knowledge. John D was an occultist. He was brilliant. He was another incredible genius who traveled England spying using kind of secret occult information he he was privy to. He was sort of selling that as his calling card, like, get to know me and you'll get occult powers, kind of loosely, and spying all the time and sending letters back to Elizabeth signed 007. So... You know, it carries right into the modern era. That that time period carries right into the modern era. And that's kind of the point of the podcast is is what incredible influence that time period had on the modern world. Absolutely. It just goes on and on and on and on from the Rosicrucians to the Freemasons to science. You know, you're reading a book on the Royal Society. And so much of it came right from Francis Bacon. And almost nobody knows his name. Mm. Almost nobody knows who he was. No. There's very few statues of him, especially in America. Um, yeah, I was just saying before the podcast uh, that I thought we were going to be talking about a painter. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, from people like think the of the painter. Yeah, 20th century. But no, there is another Francis Bacon. Yeah, who's probably the most influential person who ever lived, and almost nobody knows anything about him. Now, I mean, an, anyone... Um, sort of reading the the sort of standard history in this period will be able to understand how influential all these characters are, and particularly Francis Bacon. But what interests me is 
the sort of the more occult side of things that you think were going on what what's what's your take on francis bacon and what, what sort of uh occult influences he had was he members of secret societies do you think what what do you think is going on on that oh yeah yeah i think i think that there was a heavy occult undertone to the tutors and i think it was from the templars there was a huge Templar influence in London and it came to a screeching halt in 1307 when the French King arrested all the Templars in France and um, started questioning them. And then on uh, 1314, they burned the grandmaster of the Templar Jacques de Malloy in front of Notre Dame. And by then, England had outlawed the Templars, too. And they were essentially outlawed throughout Europe. Mm. And they had this enormous wealth and enormous power. But they weren't as powerful as kings. They weren't as powerful as the Pope. So the Pope issued a decree. And they got moved on and driven underground. And that's where the secrecy began and the need for secrecy because... They could literally be burned at the stake, and apparently dozens of them were, especially in France. Yeah. And they went underground and eventually became the Freemasons. And that is pretty much settled history. It's been rumored for years and years and years. But that book I told uh, I told you about, Born in Blood by John Robinson, who's not a conspiracy guy at all. He's a historian who stumbled on this story via the peasants rebellion that happened in, I think 1370. He started investigating the very famous peasants rebellion and stumbled on the fact that everybody said there seemed to be a guiding hand to the peasants rebellion and using various clues. He traced it to the Templars and the Templars you know, or just another like huge, incredible, fascinating story. And they got mixed up with the occult. They got mixed up with Gnosticism in the Middle East when they were um, guarding the temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, which the, uh, the crusaders conquered Jerusalem in like 1117 or something. I'm not sure of all the dates exactly. And the Templars were formed shortly thereafter, and their headquarters were right there on Solomon's Temple, uh, on the Second Temple, well, not Solomon's Temple, but the uh, Temple of Jerusalem. It was the stables, wasn't it, I think? Solomon's Stables, was it, where they had most of the guys? Uh, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, wasn't it? Yeah, right. they were that right there. They were right there on the ruins of the temple. Of course, it's yeah. in ruins. It's where the Wailing Wall is now. Mm. Rumors were they found some secret information there they found the holy grail there's all these crazy stories surrounding what the templars did there and um but they did have enormous power they were the world's first bankers they had sailing ships they had tons of gold and uh when they got shut down because apparently they were heavily involved in the occult 
and worshiping, uh, you know, demons, Baphomet. They worship Baphomet, some head named Baphomet, and practicing heresy. Mm. But it appears like what it was is that they were involved in a form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is another huge, crazy story, but it's a type of religion that sprang up around the time of, of Christ. And it's roughly Christian, but in a very different way than Catholicism or Christianity that we know. And they saw Christ as kind of a liberator and that this world was made by an evil demiurge that trapped our souls in matter. And they saw Jesus as someone who was teaching you how to liberate yourself from this realm of matter and and your soul could escape. They believe in reincarnation. There's a lot of Buddhism in it. They kind of are a mix of all the old religions. Mm. And that's what the Gnostics believed. So they could go two ways. They could go into a very purified, uh, ascetic state where they reject the world and, and pray and wear rough clothes and don't eat meat and don't have sex. And they're the perfectus, they're the perfecti. Or they could go into the libertine route where there are no rules, nothing is true, everything is permitted, and kind of become these Aleister Crowley-type religion. And this is all pretty, this is all standard history. Now, whether the Templars were Gnostics or not, that's up for debate, but Mm. kind of, you know, it's kind of a mainstream belief that they got infected with this this gnosticism i think the problem i was sorry sorry to interrupt i think one of the problems that uh, we come across with that theory on the templars is that a lot of the mainstream historians will say the um you know philip of france owed, owed them a fortune and and it was his sort of personal yeah. vendetta he, he wanted to get out of paying his debts yeah. and and they were like you, yeah. you described they were incredibly powerful they had huge yeah. they had military capabilities their own ships flying the jolly roger well, used to fly yep. The, yep. Fly that's the where the jolly roger comes from yeah so this this is this is why it's so difficult there's always like a a more plain theory that competes against you know what i want to be true <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to make sense of it all isn't it absolutely Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But a lot of that history has kind of been whitewashed just because it, it is so weird. Yeah. It is so strange. But if you dig into the Freemasons, you know, they're not very Christian. And they have these links to these very Gnostic elements. Right. Like uh, the Morning Star, that sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Masons are not Christian. They, they, all you have to do is say you believe in God. And you can be Christian, but they don't have a lot of ceremony or ritual centered around Jesus Christ. They do have a Knights Templar degree, and that's the most Christian, ironically, that's the most Christian degree in Freemasonry. <laughs> so there's a connection between the Templars and the very occult-based esoteric Freemasons. So that kind of lends credence to this idea that the Templars were mixed up 
in a different religion, which was very common at the time. There were the uh, Cathars in southern France and the Bogomils in um, the Balkans, and they were acknowledged Gnostics, and they were thought of as heretics. Mm -hmm. They themselves thought of themselves as Christians, and they thought of the Catholic Church as just, you know, your average Christians, and they had the secret knowledge, or Gnosis, which is, Gnosis means knowledge. So they thought they had a secret knowledge that made them different or better, maybe, or they just believed in different things, but they still thought of themselves as Christians. So the church thought of them as heretics, and it been a horrible uh, crusade occurred in southern France called the Albigensian Crusade, yeah. where the church slaughtered, you know, I don't know, 100,000 Gnostics. I've just uh, picked up a book that I, I, uh, I picked up at a charity shop for 80 pence. Nice. That's about 50 uh -huh. cents. And it's called uh, the, the Yellow Cross, the story of the last Cathars, 1290 to 1329. So yeah, that's on this go. sort of subject. It's not, you know, a mystery that things were very brutal back then, especially if you were labelled a heretic. And I mm. suppose that is the ideal motivation for, for folks like Frank Bacon if they were... Gnostics exactly. or, or heretics, heretics to keep it on the DL. Yeah, rather than oh, very mistake. much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the secrecy was of extreme importance. If you had any sort of ideas that weren't mainstream <laughs> Christian ideas, and not just could, a, so it had loosened up because guys like John Dee are running around writing, you know, books, Monus Hieroglyphica, and. Uh, right, so because he was a, the astrologer as well, so there is this yeah. sort of there is a bit of play in between, yeah. isn't there? As long as you didn't challenge the primacy of Christ and the Church and the Trinity, right? You started to be able to get away with a lot of stuff. And there's a great book by the mainstream scholar. Her name is Frances Yates. She wrote a book called The Rosicrucian Enlightenment. Mm. And she tells the whole story of the hermetic literature that got discovered. And the hermetic literature they thought was written by Hermes Trismegistus. And it, it was a forged, it was actually from the second century Gnostic era. But it painted a different picture of humanity as not people burdened down and afraid of sinning and just trying to get through life, it gave this impression that, you know, there was limitless potential for human beings. And that it really kind of started the Renaissance, this discovery of the hermetic literature, along with the Greeks and along with the Kabbalah that came out of Spain and Southern France and Kabbalah is very Gnostic and that, and it all came into Italy and, Lorenzo de Medici had it translated and everyone started being able to discuss this stuff right in Rome and right in Florence. Right. He, he went on a mad mission to uh, translate all the ancient Greeks, didn't he, Medici? Yeah. They were like... And Pico della Mirandola wrote about it, Oration on the Dignity of Man, and it really kick-started the Renaissance and kind of got Europe out of the Dark Ages... <laughs> Really interesting and magic. And so Gnostics are really into magic and magic ritual. And somehow magic began to be debated as long as it had a Christian veneer. You know, it kind of began to be 
talked about and accepted as almost like a science. And there's this guy, Cornelius Agrippa mm-hmm. von Nettesheim, who's a famous magician that knew Erasmus. And D is just after this period. So it led right up to D and all this kind of magic and astrology and numerology and Kabbalah. All that stuff just started bubbling and fermenting all over Italy, Germany, England, France. Pretty loose, you know. It was uh, was somehow tolerated by the church if you didn't cross certain lines or kind of paid your respects to Christianity, which is exactly what Rosicrucianism did. Uh, it has a very Christian veneer. We mentioned the Trinity and Jesus, um, as did Bacon's book, The New Atlantis. And uh, so that was all going on. Mm. It was all it was all happening. Magic was really big. And then of course there was alchemy too. People were doing these, you know, crazy experiments and they claimed they had found the philosopher's stone, which is a substance that could turn anything into gold. And that's what uh John D claimed he had. The guy he was his sidekick, Edward Kelly, claimed he had the philosopher's stone. But there was there was this idea that you could gain gain great power through alchemy and magic and transform physical reality with this kind of new science. It was considered almost like a science or it was a science. And Bacon is given credit. The famous book about him is Francis Bacon from magic to science. So all that was going on at the same time as the counter reformation and the reformation. And uh, it was really incredible, really fertile, period mm-hmm. what crazy so yeah bacon was heavily into it too what the cult was big oh, yeah still is <laughs> when still it co- is big it's back it's back yeah when when it comes to like magic and and these ceremonies what do you think's going on do you think it is something magical in the old sense or do you think it's something just rooted in our psychology or or what do you think there's nothing there it's it's kind of pointless what's your take on magic uh well i put a lot of thought into this i mean i personally think everything is magic i think our bodies are magic i think nature is magic i think there are such things as telepathy and precognitive dreams and intuition but their kind of magic is really associated with controlling demons, like reaching out and actually changing the course of life with your ceremonies and your ritual, which I can't say I believe in that. But I do believe in like the power of positive thinking. I do believe that if you put your mind on something, you can make things happen. I mean, it's obviously true. You know, you put your mind on doing a podcast. Look at you guys. You got 280 podcasts. And I do believe in prayer. I think prayer works. So do, can they, in a way your question comes down to, can they actually enlist the aid of demons or enlist the aid of disincarnate, you know, entities? And I, I can't say I believe that, but they believe it. But I think what they're doing is is a form of hypnosis it's a form of mind control like they do these rituals and it it helps focus your mind and if you focus your mind 
and you've got 50 mates in your lodge with your mind focused too, and you're going to be able to make things happen as a group, like a good, you know, soccer team or basketball team. Right. So self-hypnosis. Yeah. Yeah. It's a form of hypnosis, self-hypnosis. I think what's real is hypnosis. I think hypnosis is is a huge key to all of this stuff. I think theater can be hypnotic and music and language and making people believe things, you know, as a form of hypnosis and mind control. And I think occult is largely mind control and very synonymous with cult, cult and occult. I don't think it's an accident that they're together. And as we know, cults are all about mind control. So I think, I think that's, a lot of what's going on that's that's what i've come to well we've seen certainly seen a lot of mind control over the last two years i think thank you for that absolutely it's really freakish just this mask thing Mm. and these are educated people that know science i mean a mask is not going to stop a virus just not maybe a certain kind of mask worn a certain kind of way but it's not even that dangerous a virus. If you just do the numbers and do the math, you know, it's almost only really old people that die and out of shape old people. Yeah. But people put a mask on their kids. Right. It's, shocking it's become like a, rich, like a ritual, hasn't it? <laughs> they, they made a ritual out of something, you know, with the TV and I don't know, it just scared everyone. I mean, fear is a big part of it, right? And fear reward. And uh, to me, got, go ahead. To me, a, a big change happened over here. The, the big change happened when they changed the law. So I was, I was going to the supermarket every week throughout the pandemic. We didn't get deliveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, not at first anyway. And uh, very few people were wearing masks. I want to say maybe ten percent. And generally, the older older people were wearing masks. The day that they changed the law to say it was a legal requirement, everyone wore masks. Wow! Yeah. Apart, apart from a few, it's um, it just shows well, how masters. Yeah. The masters of control, they, they appeal to your better nature, right? You want to be a good person. We all think we're good people. Well, you want to be a good person, you'll wear a mask to protect others. Yeah. It's not just about you. And so that especially appeals to women, I think. And, you know, and then you're, you don't want to be thought of as a bad person. And then it's not such a big deal to put a mask on. Before you know it, yeah, like 98% of the people have a mask on. Outdoors, you can't catch a virus outdoors. Everyone knows that, too, unless someone comes up and, you know, spits in your eye, spits in your nose. You don't catch a virus outdoors, but that's where you put the mask on. And you do catch it indoors, so having everyone stay inside just... Would spread spread the virus. Was it even tell you to open the windows? Was it Spain? Was it Spain where they were telling people to wear the masks on the beach? There was people wearing masks on the beach in Spain. Yes, in the height of the 
It's fucking insane, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. People did it. You know, this is what's so attractive to just getting lost in history. Because you don't <laughs> yeah. have to think about the f- stuff that's going on today. <laughs> Maybe this is part of my, my issue. I <laughs> Yeah, I was just wondering as well. Um, I think I noticed just before the podcast. Did you have a um, a picture of Francis Bacon, some kind of seal with him to do with the yeah, Royal Society? Yeah, let me see what I see what I have here. So here's the Bible. Francis Bacon is rumored to have been the final editor of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got pictures of Bacon here. There's a book about. His connection to Freemasonry. Uh, there's an emblem of John D. passing the lamp to Francis Bacon, and you'll see the rose on his foot indicating a mm. uh, Rosicrucian. Um, wow. Right, okay, so the rose on the foot is pointing towards a Rosicrucian. Yeah, link there. Isn't that funny? I don't seem to have any pictures of bacon. I must. No, it must have been on the the email. I think you might have sent it on the email, and I've just confused it with one of these ones. That's all. I've got one, uh, Robert. I've got. There the... we go. Oh god. Yeah, there, <laughs> there we go. Oh, there he is. He always had a hat on. I don't think he was bald though. <laughs> I bet he was. Here's him as an 18-year-old. Yeah, I think he probably was. Yeah. There he is as an 18-year-old, the famous Hilliard portrait. Oh, right, okay. Where what's written here, Hilliard was a court painter. Mm-hmm. It says, if I could only paint his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was 18. And, he's, and they've already got yeah. something like that written around him. Yeah, he was... Really, what I think, what I've been able to put together is that he was astonishingly precocious Mm. and could speak and read Latin and Greek by like the age of seven. (laughs) He was kind of like a Mozart of language and words. Okay. And he was in the perfect environment to feed, you know, a hungry mind like that, which, as we know, there is almost no limits to what the mind can absorb. Mm. And his um, his mother could read and write Greek and Latin. His his putative mother, his father, was extremely well educated, very powerful, very rich. And his grandfather was a legendary educator who had actually been the person responsible for educating King Edward, who I think only lived to be like sixteen or something, but. So who, education was all around, and yeah. apparently Elizabeth had another famous educator write a book on how to educate, you know, children. So he was just fed books, and he had an astonishing memory. But a lot of this, you know, wasn't publicized. What I really think happened is that they knew they had this kind of like secret weapon. <laughs> Remember, everything was about espionage. Everybody had their own spy network. Everybody spied on each other. It was still very futile that way. And they were careful to reveal too much. But there was an inner circle, of course, the Cecils, you know, the Tudors, Essex, Lester, 
And I think they kind of, I, what I think, and I, I'm the only one I've ever heard this from is they just decided to keep it on the down low, this incredible brilliance of this person, but people knew and people did talk about it. And you can find references to it that, you know, he apparently read every book that was in print at the time. Yeah. I think he was a speed reader. I think he, he just had this incredible intellect. He dropped out of college at the age of 15. So they would go to college very young in those days, like 12, 13. But he dropped out at 15. He said, I'm bored. Uh, Plato and Plato and uh, Aristotle are boring. You know, they're not useful. They just quibble. And the philosophy of the time was uh, scholasticism, and they were trying to fit Aristotle into Christian philosophy. And I think Aquinas was the one that right, yeah. had done that best. So they were kind of making advances on Aquinas, and it was all this kind of nitpicking philosophy, which he sort of blamed on Plato and Aristotle. But anyway, at the age of 15, he already sort of had his life course because what he wanted was knowledge. Knowledge is power. And he already saw that the type of philosophy of the Greeks didn't give you knowledge about technology in the natural world, which he then, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. So at 15, Walsingham sent him to France, which is where his career in espionage began. Uh, and he went with uh, a diplomat, Amius Paulette. Mm. And while there, yeah, his name will come up in your book. Yes, while there, does. he started making up uh, codes, cryptography. He started creating really advanced, really sophisticated secret codes that you could write letters in that would appear to be normal. But if you knew the code you would be able to read the secret message, which he then disclosed that he had done this years later. And they're really fascinating uh, codes that he invented at the age of 15. And the rumors are that he fell in with a group of French intellectuals who were uh, revising the French language and trying to make advances on the French language. And at the time, English was was only half formed and the, and the English elite still spoke France, still spoke French left over from the Norman occupation of England. And, and very few books were written in English. There was almost no classic books yet written in English. And they think that Bacon got the idea to do that with English at that time. And that he even started writing books at that time and translating books. So when you get into the real bacon nuts, they think he was already writing novels and doing translations and even writing works of philosophy at this age, 15 to 18. Are we saying that Francis Bacon invented English then? Well, Shakespeare. (laughs) Well, Shakespeare's given that credit and it is true that English changed radically right at this time. Right. All these books started to appear, all these translations the, from Latin started. The King James to Bible. Mm. Same time King period. James Bible, the strongly rumored that Francis Bacon uh, played a large role in that. He's not given official credit. <laughs> wow. You're not given official credit, 
but uh, uh, they think he must have been involved. He was very close with King James, King James Bible, and they know. And there's all, there's no records. They know that uh, something like four groups of eight men worked on the Bible, and they used a couple of translations already done. And then they handed it into James, and it sat with James for a year, and then came out. And they think that year that it was with James, uh, Bacon got his hand on it. And there are clues in the um, on some of these emblems. Like you see this here. This is from the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. You see this top thing here. Yeah, those are called emblems, and that same emblem appears in on the first folio and the Shakespeare plays. So are these clues that were left around like, uh, here's one here. Um, these double a, these things, another quick aside, uh, King James Freemason as well. Oh, right. Okay. Obviously. (laughs) Uh, they say James was a Freemason. There were a lot of Freemasonry in uh, Scotland. This is the kind of stuff that was on the the Bible. And there's all kinds of symbolism in there that people, you know, equate with uh, bacon. But then look at this. This is really incredible. This is Psalm 46 Mm -hmm. from the Psalms of the Old Testament. Psalm 46, if you count 46 words from the first word, God, right? Count 46 in. You come to the word here. Can you see my cursor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come to this word, shake. <laughs> if you count 46 words from this word, refuge, the last word, you don't count Selah because all the, all the Psalms end in Selah. Okay. I forget what that means. Something like let it be or so it is. Yes, yeah, so it is. Yeah. Count 46 back from refuge. What word do you think you're going to see? Spear. Spear. <laughs> Beer. Shakespeare. Yeah. Wow. That's Shake, a hell of a coincidence. Um, what a coincidence. And those are the kind of number games that they delighted in, what's called <laughs> gematria and yeah. Kabbalistic number games. And there you go. I mean, come on. And I, if you go back yeah. to the previous translation or other translations, that doesn't happen. Those words are there. Uh, but he apparently arranged it perfectly that 46 (laughs) (laughs) I I just wonder how many more you know if he was into all this kind of coding and ciphers and all the rest of it he was doing it from the age or you know had been successful from the age of 15 Mm. um, how much more he managed to bury in it basically well that's what a lot of bacon nuts do is that they get really involved with the coding. The are, are, you, are you are you cleaning yourself in that, Robin? Yeah, bacon. no, you I'm must be a bacon nut. I'm trying to stay out of that. I'm trying to say I'm not a bacon nut. <laughs> it which sounds is crazy tasty. because I've got, you know, a hundred books here about it or something. I mean I've become a nut. Yeah. It's like I'm one of those people that I got bit, you know, I got bit by this bacon thing. I think we're going to people, people then get into the plays and they take these codes and they take these numerological, you know, decoding devices and they, they pull all these secret messages out of the plays and the sonnets. And then they say, Oh, because everyone wants to know where the plays are. If there's not one single written manuscript, you know, where are they? Where are the original manuscripts? So there's this whole 
thing about trying to find the original manuscripts. Wow. So where where did the earliest ones come from then? The earliest one what? The earliest manuscript, you know, copies of the plays. Well, nobody's seen a manuscript, but they were then printed out in things called quartos that the acting companies would have or that you could even buy, I think. Right. And uh, then the big one, of course, is the first folio, that giant book. It's one of the most expensive books in the world now and had all 36 plays. But 18 of them had never been published. They were brand new, maybe never even performed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, that's for the Shakespeare scholars, which is another enormous world of Shakespeare mm-hmm. scholarship. And they all think Willie wrote the plays and they just analyze them. Uh, then the investigating his life was an industry, you know, for 200 years. He's the most researched person ever, probably, or one of the most for sure. And uh, the 18 plays had been performed in their work portos, but some of them had been radically changed. And nobody knows who changed them or when, but they're very different than the plays that were originally performed at the Globe Theater. But there are no original manuscripts. They don't exist. So people want to know, well, they must be somewhere. And (laughs) they'll pull these secret messages out of the plays and go digging off somewhere. They're like, oh, they're they're over here by the River Wine. They'll they'll pay a lot of money or spend years of their lives digging a hole in the ground, you know, thinking they're going to find these manuscripts. There's a guy named Alan Green. Yes. Yeah. Who thinks they're at the church in Stratford. And he did this whole amazing decoding thing. And does he think they're they're buried under the altar? Yeah, that's what he thinks. Mm. And he's got all this intriguing circumstantial evidence Mm. for that. But there's a documentary on YouTube called Cracking the Shakespeare Code. This Norwegian Freemason, whose name I forgot, is really brilliant guy, really cool guy, uh, does the same thing. And he traces these things to Oak Island. So there's this place in Canada called Oak Island off the coast of Nova Scotia. I think it's Canada, right? It's not Maine. Where they think the manuscripts are buried, and there's all this crazy evidence for that but i highly recommend that movie for anyone interested in this cracking the shakespeare code because they put the norwegian together with a london-based young shakespeare scholar and they sort of butt heads they, they become very friendly and they talk about it and the shakespeare scholar by the end he never says it but he's like hell yeah you're onto something man like he, he takes him through all the evidence but he's really into cracking the codes. I just, I don't have any talent for that. I'm not really interested in that. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary, but maybe one day they'll find something, but that's a whole other area of Baconiana is all these places they've searched for these manuscripts and they do find stuff. They find like walls that have been repaired. Like it looks like something was in there and now it's been repaired uh, they think it might be, uh, they don't know. I mean, but the, the Alan Green has a compelling theory. This um, Norwegian guy and cracking the Shakespeare code on YouTube. It's a great, great documentary movie. He, he finally gave up. I got to give him credit because he's a, he's a solid character. He's had, there's almost nothing else with him 
on the internet. But when you do find it, he's like, yeah, I decided I better just stop <laughs> obsessing about Shakespeare and get on with my life. But now there's all these, yeah, anyway, that's the whole thing, Oak Island. And yeah, it's fascinating. Another huge area that came out of this. Uh, here's some more pictures. Here's Cecil. Here's Lord Cecil Burley. Lord Burley. He's uh, that's an interesting thing. So Lord, the title Lord. In the Bible, Lord means God. And in the King James Bible, they, Bacon, I think it was Bacon, translated the word master as Lord. Uh, my Lord said to get the clay pots and bring them in. But other oh. translations have master. And I think with this Gnostic thing and that they do, and this aristocratic thing, they do think of themselves as gods. That, was, that goes all the way back to ancient Egypt, where the, the ruler was a god. And even Rome, there was some of that. Like when you died, you became a god. And I think this calling someone Lord which is very uh, foreign, of course, to Americans, but I think it's a way to use language to reinforce this idea that, you know, we're in charge, even God, like Lord literally means God in the Bible, mm. which I find. Uh, I mean, part you know, of the, uh, another part of this sort of Gnostic theology is that you, you, through these certain spiritual practices, you can, escape the reincarnation wheel and then ascend beyond the seven spheres or whatever it is and essentially become a god it ties in with that exactly Mm. sounds cool yeah have a go yeah no it's very uh it's very enticing it's Mm. very intriguing yeah It, it gets very popular especially if you don't have to follow any you know moral laws you can yeah do what you want. Do what thou wilt. Yeah, yeah mm. do what thou wilt. Uh, yeah, it gets quite popular. Here's uh, here's Elizabeth's famous rainbow portrait, which blew my eyes. Look at the one eye symbolism, and there's the Gnostic snake. I think. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I'll show you a, a full screen picture of that. But yeah, that that red dress. It's just got these eyeballs and ears. Yeah, eyeballs and yep. ears all over it. It's bizarre. Mm. And that snake, mm. which is very like, because the, the, a lot of Gnostic sects literally worship the snake from the Garden of Eden. Yeah, they, the they describe the, the yeah. serpent as being the embodiment of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. whereas God in the garden is saying, you know, do not eat of this tree or you will shall surely die. And, and the, the, the snake or serpent enlightens Eve. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of proves God wrong because the the fruit and they don't die. Exactly, you know, yeah. it's, it's very uh, compelling mm-hmm. theology. Look at all there this. There you go. Yeah, I mean that. There you go. What's it's that? A nice system they had, and I think that's what they're trying to recreate with this great reset. Is this whole thing right here? What's going on there, Robert, with the, the bowing people? I think Can't tell. Is it the Lord walking past there? Yep, servants? the Lord is walking past, and the servants must bow. Mm. That's what I do when I come home, though, to my wife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, That's um, the only way we survive. I mean, this yep. this ties into something you talk about. Is um, 
God, we've gone over an hour already. We haven't talked about so much. No. I know. It's just so much. It's just a vast, yeah, vast yeah. amount of stuff. They all, all these topics take an hour. They're on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one oh, look f- at this. So oh, this oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, for people listening or watching the video on the various platforms, if you go to the your website, The Hidden Life is Best, there's tons of links there and, and uh, yeah. book recommendations and video links and, and websites. Yeah, go it's there great. and yeah, listen to the podcast. They're packed with information. It's it's crazy. It's well, well, I like the fact it. that you reference it. You know, you, you put your references in there where you're getting stuff from so people can, you know, we don't have to take your word for it. We can double check, you know, and find out more yeah yeah kabbalah is another massive topic mm. that figures very prominently in most occult systems really fascinating uh there's the royal society and we've got the history of science and you know mm-hmm. science is uh, behind a lot of this craziness uh, with the virus you know it's all kind of sciencey right and they've kind of made science, this is kind of what got me into this, is this idea that science is really the newest religion, which is why I feel confident in saying Bacon is probably the most influential person of all time, because science is now the fastest growing religion, if not the biggest religion. I mean, everyone's putting a mask on because they believe in science. The mantra now is trust the science, no trust in God. You know, people don't even talk about God anymore. Mm. You can debate God and Christianity all you want, but God, God help you if you start debating the science. I mean, mm. there's, there's words we can't say right now or we'll get banned from YouTube. But we can say anything we want about religion. So it's flipped. You know, it's, it's all right, yeah. Because at one point, you know, you would have been a heretic for talking mm. about, yeah. you know, if we if you're in this yeah. late Tudor period and you were a papist, <laughs> then you were going to be persecuted. Uh, whereas yeah. well, you're right that's flipped on its head now you can do and say anything you like about any religion yeah. pretty much yeah with a, a notable exception here or there but it's the it's sort of the scientific um what would the word dogma that's taken over mm-hmm. yeah it's a religion they literally call you a heretic i've seen it happen with scientists <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and they have their relics you know their darwinian skulls and their <laughs> They've got their saints, you know, St. Darwin and St. Einstein. It's, it's absolutely, totally a religion because that's how the human mind works. We make religions out of things. Mm-hmm. Just so go. a lot of this has to do with, yeah, the nature of human consciousness. Uh, so it's big, man. It's a big topic. <laughs> Just go back to that, um, that folio from the Royal Society because that's something, it's funny, you sent me that on the email recently and yeah. I actually had it on my computer already. <laughs> Ooh. This image, but it's a it's a funny one. Yeah. yeah, where'd that go? Or I can pull it up here. I even have it here. <laughs> here we go. Where'd it go? That's weird. Is this it? There it is. So this guy here is not long after Bacon's death, and it is to commemorate the founding of the Royal Society, which is the beginning of modern science right there. And they recognize Francis Bacon as their spiritual inspiration, as their absolute inspiration. He, he literally said, we need to make things like Royal Societies. We need groups of scientists getting together and sharing data. 
So they recognize Bacon. Uh, this is James, I think. Charles II, that. Charles II. This is, uh, I forget who he is. He was the head of the Royal Society at the time. or Yeah, Von, von Breekland or something like that it was. But there's just tons of Masonic symbolism <laughs> everywhere, arches and everywhere. And he's pointing, if you see his finger, that is the Templar cross right there. It's called the Splayed Cross, the famous red cross, you know, which again rates back to England. The Rose Cross, the Red Cross, the Red Cross on the White Flag, um, the Tudor Rose. I think it all kind of relates back to the Tudors and to mm. England. But that is the Templar Cross right there, which apparently Columbus sailed under right, to found yeah. America. And we've got the checkerboard and, uh, floor, like you will find yeah, in a, a Masonic, floor, yeah. Masonic temple. And Check you've got like, these compasses and set squares all over behind them. Yeah. And the, you've got the three main figures. So you've got like Charles II as the, the grand master position in the middle and then the two wardens yeah. either side being the, the current president and the sort of inspiration behind the forming of the society not sure about the angel and what is relevant relevance is in there with the old trumpet i don't know there's uh i don't know what's in this bag he's holding oh yeah yeah who knows looks like a sewing kit or something i don't know i mean it's just obviously Masonic. It's the know? ancient man bag. I was going to say the ancient handbag. Yeah, yeah, it's the ancient handbag. Ancient man bag. It's the ancient man bag. Well, yeah. It's the secrets of, uh, well, should have Ryan Seven here, shouldn't we, to well, tell us what they're right. There was that. Oh, I can't remember the name of the guy, the, the book on uh, Gebekli Tepe. He thinks it's a sunrise, doesn't he? The ancient handbag. What's um, his name? What's the name of the book? Decoding oh. History? History, yeah. History Decoded. Yeah. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name as well. He's uh, an, another English guy. Yeah. yeah. But that He's one a modern re- mason. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we could go on for days. You guys you guys want to wrap this up? Or? Yeah, we'll let you go. I yeah. mean, it's been great. I've uh, really enjoyed this. Mm. Oh, good. Um, good, I'm glad. Thanks a lot, guys. Anything you want to say before you, we go? Other uh, than going to the hiddenlifeisbest.com and... <laughs> Yeah, checking out the links. Life is best. Uh, listen to the podcast. Mm. Uh, hopefully, I'll turn this into a book. Oh, cool! Yeah, I think this um, is. Yeah, you've really kind of um, piqued my interest tonight. This is something I didn't really um, know much about, and I think it's something I'm definitely going to look into and listen to your podcast about. Definitely, it's really fascinating. Mm, Christopher yeah. Marlowe, Sir Walter Raleigh. Essex. I mean, these guys, you know, they played for keeps. Essex lost his head and Raleigh lost his head. They were major players, especially Essex. Essex was royalty. Yeah. Well, who just, moved uh, against the Queen? I'll leave you with this. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I spoke with this Baconite. So Essex. A bacon uh, nut, was, please. A bacon nut. I spoke with this bacon nut about why, what happened with Essex. So it's this famous thing that happened where the Earl of Essex. It's called the Essex Rebellion, where he stormed into the palace and confronted Queen Elizabeth about something nobody knows. Oh. 
And a few months later, he led a rebellion where he right there on that map, the, the, the map is amazing. Go to the August map and click around. But the Essex house was right by the palace. They all lived right there on the strand or nearby. And the theaters were right there. Uh, he tried to raise a rebellion against the queen and it failed. He thought the common people would go with him and it failed. And nobody really knows why he did this, but he got his head chopped off and a couple other people did too. So the bacon nut told me, and I said, I think he's right. He goes, cause Essex was very close to bacon. And some people think they might've been brothers. I don't quite go that far. They think that Essex stormed in on the queen to try to convince her to make bacon the next king. Oh. Bacon was in line to be king by, you know, by the divine right, by the divine thing. So that could be, but and, this, uh, Earl of Essex lost his head. And it was, wasn't it a last minute decision to, to nominate James the sixth? Apparently it, those were Elizabeth's dying words. Yeah. Could, make it he, James. He talk about succession. It was forbidden. Because she knew that if somebody's supposed to be king, they were just going to kill her and still have her killed. <laughs> so apparently, her dying words were like, "Let it be James." Yeah. Oh, and then wild. James is a whole other thing. Yeah. Listen, guys, thanks a lot. Yeah. You're a lot of fun. Uh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's and been I'll keep a, track of you online. It's been a pleasure, Robert. Um, just stay on the line for us for a few seconds while we play ourselves out sure. and stop the stream. All and, right. Uh, Check out all the links in the show notes, man. Yeah. It's great stuff. It is, yeah. Right. Catch you on the flip side. See you in a bit. Catch you on the flip side, guys. Cheers. <laughs> Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That was our chat with Robert Frederick from the Hidden Life is Best podcast. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. My stamp of approval. <laughs> How many episodes does he have? Do you know? Only about a half a dozen. Okay. Uh, they're quite lengthy. Right. Most of them are uh, an hour, but are over. Mm-hmm. Um, this last one I listened to, I think I'm on episode five now. I think the last one was maybe over two hours. Right. It was two okay. and a half hours. That was uh, long, focused mainly on Macbeth. The Scottish play. Wait. Oh, no, it's Hamlet. Oh. There's something else in it. Go on, carry on. Yeah. So, yeah, do check out the links in the show notes and uh, and follow Robert's work and keep up to date. And like I mentioned mm. when we were recording, there's loads of other stuff on his website, like his mm. like books and book recommendations and links to other websites, where he's getting his information from. And it's an uh, interesting, really fascinating subject. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. So I would, I'm going to reiterate that I am going to be uh, looking into... Um, this France and bacon type person. <laughs> yeah. bacon. Yes, I'm going to become a bacon nut. <laughs> and that's what I was trying to say to him, was what? that we should launch a on the uh, loot chest some Amish Inquisition bacon nuts. <laughs> Nothing. We could do a crossover. He wasn't having it, though, was he? Uh, I don't think Teespring... Uh, do you not do bacon nuts? Food products. I do like vegan or something. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Oof. Oh, dear. Anyway, um, yeah, I was going to say, um, before we go on to the housekeeping, I just want to give a shout out to, to Mystic Mark. Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Okay. Because uh, he asked, invited me on his podcast the other week and uh, we had a great old chin wag. Right. Uh, and we talked a bit about this period, actually, because it's something I've been looking into recently okay. and, and some of the weirder alternative history stuff. 
and um, he released it this week. Uh, was it last week? Sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, before we started this podcast five years ago, if you'd have asked me, like, if I would hear a sentence or a statement such as this from Mark, um, I would never have believed you. Here's a clip. Wow. Big shout out to everybody. Thank you for helping us break that record. I think our highest position on the chart was number 25. That's incredible. Uh, right now, <clears throat> looks like we're at number 29. No big deal. Obviously a big bump from the David Icke episode. So if you're here, after listening to the David Icke episode, maybe you'll like Amish Phil. He's also English. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the only way he could shoehorn you in. <laughs> the only thing I have in common with David Icke is that you're English. I mean, yeah. I was going to say that uh, I was watching the Jimmy Saville Old Dark on Netflix, the yeah. documentary, oh, yeah. and I had no idea that he was like had this other life. As was he not a footballer or something? <laughs> He was a footballer, and also he was he was on uh, like much of the day. Good morning, whatever UK and Diamond. Yeah, as like the news correspondent, uh, the sports correspondent. Yeah, TV yeah. pundit. He, I yeah. think he had to retire from football early through injury. Right. Okay. And that's when he went into media and the media side of things. Yeah. So, and when did he come out and say everyone was lizards? Then on the Wogan show. Do you not remember the Wogan interview from I think it was nineteen ninety? Right. Okay. Where. I mean, it's uh, go back and watch it. It's an interesting thing to watch because okay. the tabloids point uh, um, basically uh, covered it as uh, Ike declares himself Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've but, just realised you know. you're not still talking about Jimmy Savile. <laughs> <laughs> but you can get it on YouTube. The uh, the Wogan David Ike interview, and you can right, okay. watch the whole thing. Don't watch the edited bit. Mm-hmm. Watch the whole thing. See what you make of it. You know. Um, that's a uh, that's a surefire way to get you a, a front page headline, though, isn't it? <laughs> Declaring yourself either bigger than Jesus or Jesus Christ. Well, spoiler alert: it doesn't say that. Well, exactly. But, you know. but, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's do some house coining, keeping coining, keeping housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's some weird ways of doing this. And uh, my favourite way of becoming a producer of the Honest Inquisition is to spread the word through word of mouth and uh, shoot people links to the show if you think uh, they would appreciate it. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to bring out the the new Amish housekeeper. (laughs) Hello. My name's Amish Annabelle, and I'm the new housekeeper. If you don't give us some money, I'm going to keep coming and creeping you out. <laughs> you need to describe for the, uh, the listeners what on earth you're doing. Um, well, I have come into possession of Amish Annabelle. I won her at a uh, local Crown Green Bowling Club Tombola. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like my son did, bingo. actually. Um, yeah, meet bingo. And... Um, <laughs> He guessed, apparently, he, my son guessed her name right. Um, so this is Amish Annabelle. Uh, she's actually porcelain. She has her own chair <coughs> as well, so she can sit in the studio. You'd have to come and look at YouTube on this. Um, she has a brooch, a very lovely brooch. She has a bonnet. 
Oh, um, God. Real hair? She has real baby hair. Oh, God, that's creepy. Oh. Um, and um, she is porcelain as well. I thought she was plastic, but when you... I don't know if you can pick this up on the mic. Yeah, porcelain. That's, that's porcelain, and she has a porcelain face. So um, when donations reach about $10,000 an episode... Mm. Uh, oh, me, Bill. We'll go home. But she, up until then, she's just going to stay on the podcast and do this. Oh, no, that will freak oh, people no, out. Don't no, do that. No, no. Oh, gosh. She's glorying at the mic. <laughs> she's an interesting colour. Yeah. What colour would you call that? Jaundice? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say it's, yeah. it's deathly white, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of a grey... <laughs> A grey-white um, colour. Yeah, I think she's, she's some sort of Gnostic serpent. Yeah? Is she wearing a slanket? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really want to lift up her dress, but... Oh, no, don't. don't. She has got... She has got uh, is, it, is it called a pet- petticoat? Yeah, isn't it? She yeah. has a petticoat on. She has an underdress. Oh, she's, she's got everything on. She's got thermals on. Thermals on. She's got little leather booties. Oh, wow! Hey, yeah. don't you don't you lift up my petticoat? <laughs> the uh, the petticoat reminds me of the execution of Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> right? Okay. Because um, she, when she was executed at Foringay, Fotheringay, mm-hmm. she had to remove her outer garments, and there was <gasps> shock yeah. because she was wearing a bright red petticoat. Slut. Catholicism okay. and martyrdom. Right, okay. And wow. uh, they drafted in Walsingham, who we were talking about, and uh, Lord Burley. They drafted in this executioner, the best in the land from London, called Bull. <laughs> okay. And uh, Mary goes and kneels down in front of the block, and one of her um, attendees brings like this uh, silk handkerchief to use as a blindfold. And then she goes down, she puts her head on the block, splays out her arms and legs like that. Bull comes along with his axe up, straight down, but his aim was a bit off. Ooh. And it hit the knot on the um, blindfold, slipped off the knot and just buried it back of her head. <laughs> and apparently she made a small noise. Other than that, she didn't move. Okay. So he needed another go. Oh, so no. axe back up, down it goes again. Yeah. And it, it was a proper severing. He just had to kneel down and just like as a carving <laughs> knife, just to finish finish the oh, last few sinews. Oh, fuck me! <laughs> right? Oh, it gets better. So, what does Bull do next? He grabs the head by the scruff of the hair, holds it aloft. God save the queen! Unfortunately, she was wearing a wig. And a head. <laughs> Head dropped to the floor and started rolling around. <laughs> Is this in front of like the yeah, massive, the public? All the lords. Well, it was at Fotheringay. It was done on quick, right? Okay. Sharp. It was planned in advance. We're going to do this quietly. We don't want to tell the queen. Oh, right. Okay. She signed the death warrant, but they then said, "Well, we don't want to bother her." They were worried she was going to have because they were cousins. Right. She would have, uh, you know, uh, regrets and not go through with it. Um, so and there were members of the public who found out and, and got in there. Um, 
Eyewitnesses said her lips were moving for 15 minutes afterwards. I mean, this is the thing I always <laughs> wonder about with, you know, like when you're beheaded. The lips on her head, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> say, the, hi, Dave. <laughs> 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 uh, um, how, how, how long you're conscious for after you have your head cut off? I bet it's a couple of minutes. You would think so, wouldn't you? You would think so, do you not reckon? Mm. We need to ask someone, really, don't we? Should we get a, a so specialist on? <laughs> Yeah, to get someone. Someone who's had, yeah. <laughs> you would imagine as long as there's a blood supply to the brain, that well, there will be some consciousness there? You would I don't know, like nerves severed. I guess it's the question of where consciousness resides. Yeah, well, we assume it's in um, the brain, don't we? So yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Let's hope we, none of us find out. <laughs> we have to find out. Yeah, I mean, you would hope it, you wouldn't feel any pain, would you? I mean, the shock would probably kill you. The shock would probably kill you. The, this, the book describes the lips moving as like the nerves. Yeah. Of the, you know, it's not like she's gasping for air or something. Although maybe. I, I suppose, know. but the other thing is, if, 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 if for her, sorry, the axe had previously buried in the back of her head and then he's chopped her head off, then you would think she would be dead from the, the, the axe, the first axe blow, wouldn't you? You would hope so. That's right, Annabelle. Anyway, uh, YouTube, Odyssey. Odyssey's up to date now. Uh, Bit shoots. We now are on, is it Rumble? I think it's Rumble. Right. Rumble. Now. So, yeah, um, find us on, on those platforms and give us a sub. Mm. Hit the bell. Smash the like button. As Marlon says, that like button won't smash itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my mate Marlon says. Uh, what else can you do? Word of mouth, YouTube. Uh, join the Discord and uh, send us things on there um, that make us laugh and also contribute. <laughs> so at the bottom of the Discord is four threads for like producer Ill Intel where you can send Ill us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am ill, yeah. Producer Intel so you can send us news articles, video clips, audio clips from other podcasts or. Things that you feel uh, are interesting or are out there, whatever. Mm. Um, you can give us... What else can you give us in the intel? Guest suggestions. Guest suggestions is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can uh, request some chi focusing in your direction. We have mm. a thread for focus chi requests. So if you are in a flunk and you need some help from the Amish inquisitioning community <laughs> and you want us to focus our chi in your direction for your given name, pop... A request in the Discord server or emails at thearmsinquisition at gmail.com and we will endeavour to make it happen. It's 100% effective so far. 100% effective. You know, maybe you've got a job interview coming up or you, mm. you're um, lacking, maybe you're a writer and you're lacking or a musician and you're lacking inspiration. Mm. It could be for anything. But, you know, uh, we endeavour to help people and it gives us an excuse to play a funny jingle, mm. which is the main thing. Mm. Um, you can I go on. I'm just agreeing. Cool. Yeah, good. Uh, merch, <laughs> go to the Amish loot chest. Link in the show notes for that. If you want a current grape T-shirt, literally a communist hoodie, three weeks to flatten the earth mug T-shirt, potential bacon beans, bacon nuts. <laughs> Maybe. Get some bacon beans as well. Frag and beans. Yeah. Got beans <laughs> in the brain. Because <laughs> we're talking about coffee, innit? Coffee beans. Was that off air? Possibly. It yeah. was, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, artwork. 
That's a great way to become a producer. Send us artwork yeah. for the uh, the show artwork. No submission this week, so I just rustled some out really quick, you know. <laughs> the other morning, yesterday morning. Here it is, the show artwork for episode 222, 228. Coming in. Incoming. Stand by. Oh, good. Do you like that? Yeah. I think that's pretty nice, isn't it? I think that's that's probably your best one, that. Wow. I've got, um, what I've got, Ben, is... Uh, the background is uh, is like a folio of the tragedy of Macbeth, mm-hmm. Macbeth, the Scottish oh, yeah. play. Yeah. yeah, tragedy spelled wrong. Well, yeah, because it's, uh, it's all the English in it. Yeah, and then we've got some superimposed um, portraits of some of the key figures. So we've got Queen Elizabeth the First there, uh, mm-hmm. Francis Bacon, uh, Francis Walsingham is the one in the middle of the three gents, mm-hmm. the spy master, Elizabeth spy master, yeah. and that's John Dee, who we didn't really. Well, we talked a little bit about John yeah. Dee. There at the bottom right, the Queen's astrologer, famously. Right, okay. Yeah, and uh, famously an occultist and a cryptographer and whatnot. Ex- explains so. the snaky arms then on the portrait. Very nice. Oh, yeah, that's on uh, Elizabeth's dress. That, yeah. Yeah. So I'll make that disappear. Okay. So, yeah, oh, well, it's a good thing to do. Mm. Um, anything else? Anyway, birthday? Maybe you've got a birthday coming up. Yeah. You want a birthday shout out? We love saying. We love saying Happy birthday, Hugh Janus To people when it's their birthday Uh huh Alright Anything else? I think we've covered everything, haven't we? I think so Is is Ben going to say, or shall I make Amish Annabelle say I think Annabelle deserves more Well, thank you very much uh, Amish Ben (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you... God damn, toss us a fucking coin. Toss a coin to Thanks, Annabelle. <laughs> Do it for the lads, Annabelle. Lads, lads. lads. You know, we're northern or southern America, from the south, the deep south in America, by the sounds of it. We're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yes, you can uh, go to the armsinquisition.com. The website has been updated and you can... Uh, find Ooh. a PayPal donate button there. I thought they'd always, it was always there. Yeah, it's always there. So it's just still for there. Papists. <laughs> okay. For papists, the PayPal, PayPal donate button. <laughs> the papists PayPal donate and donating button. Yeah, the and, donate uh, button. You can give us a, a one-off donation. Sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation and donations a level of fifty pounds or above. And we'll grant you the status of executive producer for that episode, which looks bloody smashing on your curriculum vitae. What what? Not, not. Okay. It does, it does. Yeah. Do it for the lads, man. The lads. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. <coughs> I'm, I'm kind of at six and seven. Is this what happens when I have two weeks off? I'm just, uh, I'm being hungover. Mm. I'm tired, generally. I, uh, I, I forgot to mention, I mean, uh, just like comments... I mean, part of the thing of be- being a producer is you're providing us with content. Yeah. And that can be as simple as leaving a fantastic comment. And I have an example here from Bitchin. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about the bro chugging back medium strength beers, is it? No, no. I've got this comment. Do you remember our last episode? Oh, no. It's not a horrific one, is it? Our last episode, we talked about the giant stone spheres. That had been discovered. Okay, yeah. In uh, was it in Mexico? Was it in South America? Costa Rica. Yeah, I think Co- so. the Costa Rican stone spheres, and we had a commenter from uh, on Bitshoots uh, from Gnostic Nihilist. 
not stone, cement. Are you? <laughs> are you still ignorant? Megalithic stones wow. are actually cement. No, not alien tech, dumbass. <laughs> is he not? Whoa. Is he the? Is he the the same one? As well, no. <laughs> that left the uh, no. anti-Semitic. Uh, oh, I don't know. I, 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 the name rings a bell, but maybe it's not. I assume it's a him. Oh, yeah. don't yeah, don't assume yeah. their gender. No, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> should I? Yeah. These days of litigation. I know. I get fucked over. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So send us a send us a comment and provide us with content such as that. Yeah. Right, let's thank the producers for episode 228. Who have we got? It's time! It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. We've got uh, Rona, Kesson, Helen, Bunyanut, Slicko, Nick, and Bill. Thank you. You're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love, literally. Mate. The dwarf, the carrots, the grape, the homophobe, the winds, the asna, the crumpets, the number eleven, the blind man, the fallen on the horizon, the cripple and the mother of from hell. I don't get it, never will. Yep, thanks for your support for another week. It's greatly appreciated and uh greatly appreciated and the most says and <laughs> no it just is it's, it's appreciated greatly <laughs> oh my gosh you know um i was listening to uh oh, i don't know just cut that off i don't know why i did that i don't know why i did that i can't think straight i'm just gonna let it go just pound back another mid-strength beer and you'll be fine <laughs> My bloody Nazi beers from Aldi. Just read what it says on the frigging label. I didn't realise till I bought them. What's it saying at the bottom, small writing? And the... um, friggin' Nazi beer. No, it says brewed in accordance with the German purity law. Wow. That's yeah. some fucked up shit, man. Yeah, I didn't think they were still allowed to do that. No. But uh, anyway, um, I was watching, I was listening to uh, No Agenda, on that, I think it was Thursday's episode, and um, they were going through the donation segment, one of the donation segments, and uh, someone had donated with the surname Worcester. <laughs> oh yeah, this will be a tricky one for an American. <laughs> uh, now nah, these guys are the pros. All oh, right, okay. So let's see. Charlotte Worcester uh, in San Francisco, hundred dollars. She has a note, and and I, I'll just read it. Also, because I'm grateful because her name is like the sauce. She spells it like the sauce. W-O-R-C-E-S-T-R. Uh, which everyone pron- I pronounce as Worcester. And it's just Worcester. Worcester. I think it's just Lester. I think it's just Lester. There's a lot of Sean Connery. So it's Worcestershire sauce, everybody. We finally have it. Worcester. I'm gonna I'm gonna mangle this now. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Can you? I can't think. I don't think I can say Worcestershire. 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 I just call it Worcester. <laughs> fact, I, I think it's just Leicester. I think it's just Leicester. It Leicester to score. Um I've got. A, I think I'm going to start a new segment. 
mm-hmm. uh, stupid headline of the week. Okay. Here's, uh, uh, yes. Here's one. This is from the New York Times uh, just a few days ago. China and <laughs> China and Russia are giving authoritarianism a bad name. <laughs> is it is it ironic? <laughs> I don't know. It must be ironic, mustn't it? It must be. You don't yeah, think? I don't know. I think it must be. Who knows what's true and what's false anymore these days? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna look out for that, I think. Yeah? Uh yeah. Good for you. Yeah, a bit of a shit sandwich this week, show, to be honest. <coughs> Tickly throat. Yeah, I don't know what to... Uh... I don't know where to cut, whether to talk about this. Have you been hearing about the, this childhood ep- hepatitis stuff? Yeah, I saw only that in the, in the Only in the Discord, and uh, I confess that I it's not something I wish to click on. No. Why? It's just... Um, I'm just wondering... Um, I mean, it was yesterday. It was 108 cases in the UK. So hepatitis <coughs> is is um, liver damage, basically liver liver inflammation. But the, these um, doctors at a hospital in Glasgow noticed that they were, they had they'd had a spate <coughs> in three weeks. They'd had more cases of this sort of unexplained severe hepatitis in children than they did expect in a year. And that's what raised the alarm originally. And then they told the UK Health Security Agency. And then in England, they started finding cases. It was 108 in the UK up to yesterday. That's gone up now to, I think, nearly 130 uh, since the start of the year. And it's also been found in Alabama. They were the second sort of state to notice it. Mm. And it's now been noticed in, I think, Denmark, (coughs) Spain... And uh, another handful of European countries, there seems to be something happening. And um, it's nothing to do with the magic juice, because um, non uh, the average average age of these kids is three point nine in the UK. It's very young children, and they're not they can't get the magic juice anyway. There are some of the cases in Europe, according to the WHO, they'd been vaccinated, but that doesn't seem to be. A, uh, correlated at all um, so I've just got some information here this is from yesterday so it's probably out of date now but 8 of the children have had to receive a liver transplant after being diagnosed with a mysterious hepatitis the, the UK security agency has announced and like that's that means uh, immunosuppressants for the rest of your life as well yeah, having a unfortunately, yeah, shortened life for the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since January, 108 children across the country have developed sudden, uh, developed sudden onset hepatitis or liver inflammation. All were aged under the 10. All, oh fuck me, all were under the age of 10. Though the majority were younger than five. Hepatitis in children is usually extremely rare, and a definitive cause of the extraordinary case still eludes scientists. So they've all been tested for the five um, viruses that normally cause hepatitis, A, B, C, D, and E. Mm-hmm. And they're not testing for that. They're testing uh-huh. for all sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so a handful were testing positive for COVID. Um handful were testing positive for adenoviruses, rhinovirus, influenza, all sorts of stuff. Um now, currently, the leading theory is that the liver inflammation is linked to an adenovirus ve- 
adenovirus infection, where this is the time of year, the spring, where adenoviruses, we have a peak every year in spring, apparently. And it's adenovirus 41 that they're sort of tracking quite a large percentage of these kids are testing positive. Uh, so far, 77% of the cases tested were positive for adenovirus, the UK HSA said on Thursday. Um, and I've just got a clip from Dr. Bean, Dr. Mabeen Syed. He's one of these YouTube docs who's massively popular, like John Campbell now, because mm. he's been covering... Everyone's been going to YouTube for information on the yeah. pandemic and stuff. And uh, he describes the current leading theory as to why this might be happening, as stated by uh, the docs in Scotland. In Alabama, GIT illness, gastrointestinal symptoms, varying de- degree of liver injury, including liver failure. Later analysis have revealed a possible association of this hepatitis with adenovirus 41. So this is the most common um, association you would see. You would see that with the Scotland as well. And Scotland, in their report, have actually presented a conjecture as well for why. They think that as the children have spent, these younger children have spent a lot of time indoors during the pandemic, they have become kind of immune naive for adenoviruses. Excuse me. And usually adenoviruses do not cause such severe disease, but a child who may be immune naive and is getting exposed now may have an overwhelming response by their immune system causing this kind of hepatitis. So that is their hypothesis. So it's early days yet. It's still a mystery. No one has an answer, but the leading hypothesis is that this might be another bloody thing we have to chalk up in the (coughs) unintended consequences of lockdown category yet again. So um, the advice is, if you particularly have got young children under the age of 10, but around the age of 5, is to look out for signs of jaundice, yellowing of the skin and eyes, Mm. muscle aches and joint aches and pains and uh, tummy aches, that sort of thing. If you know it's this sort of thing, you need to act immediately because this is uh, doesn't seem to be going away. Hopefully, it's going to be one of these things that appears and then just sort of goes away, mm. and maybe we'll never find out what caused it. But something, if you've got young kids, you need to be aware of. But I think I, I seem to think that the mainstream channels are starting to cover this now. Right. Uh, I had it down on our list to talk about last week show two weeks ago that's how long this has been developing for but we're mm. still pretty much none the wiser mm. so just a little psa um let's do another shit thing and then we can have some fun okay i've got this uh story from nexus magazine in france it's a french uh, magazine oui oui oh you'll love you like this why is it oh. sexy Chinese-style social credit sets foot in Europe. Oh, yeah. The city of Bologna in Italy will launch a digital permit for virtuous citizens, the smart citizen wallet. Oh, yeah. From now on, the inhabitants of Bologna will will be able to be rewarded for their good deeds. For this, they will need to download a citizen digital wallet. Mm. Social credit rewarding the virtuous citizen... (laughs) In quotes, will soon be introduced in Bologna with the so-called smart citizen wallet. As reported by the Italian newspaper Corriere di Bologna, for Massimo Bugani, advisor in charge of the digital agenda who worked on the subject, 
The portfolio of the various virtuous citizen is an innovative idea. It is similar to the mechanism of collecting supermarket points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, in effect. Citizens will be rewarded if they sort their waste, use public transport, manage their energy well, oh, God. do not receive fines from the <laughs> municipality, and are active with the culture card. What does the culture card do? I don't know, maybe like if, if you go to the library, maybe? Or, or you I go mean, to a... all of those things you listed in the first thing, I think I've, would have, I've fallen foul of. <laughs> like the recycling. Doesn't re- I mean, I try my best. I don't wash it. Um, I mean, the more... I, yeah, I've been fined by the municipality numerous times. Um, I got a letter put on my bin once because I put it out without a... A thing on you have to pay now for a permit here for uh, taking away your greet your like grass cuttings and leaves what? and shit. Yeah, yeah. So you have to pay for that really? extra. Mm. And I put it out once. Well, what it was actually, <clears throat> there's this guy in the neighbourhood, and he started putting everyone's bins out because he was wary. He was <laughs> he was under the impression that if people's bins weren't out that that was a, a sign to a burglar to come and burgle your house. So he very kindly started putting the bins out. But one day he did, he thought that we hadn't put the bins out and it was brown bin day, you know, like the garden waste. And um, he took it out and it didn't have a um, what, permit basically for it. QR code. Yeah. So I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll just risk it. And I got... <laughs> I got told off by the council. Oh, no. Oh, well, that's the least of your problems. The virtuous behaviour will correspond to a score that the Bolognese... Thanks for explaining that joke. Yeah, uh, that's, you know. <laughs> that's why it was funny. <laughs> the virtuous behaviour will correspond to a score that the Bolognese can then spend to obtain prizes. Oh, what were the prizes? Uh, Prizes are currently being defined. A a free garden waste permit. It'll be like an arcade. You'll need 400,000 tickets for a bag of sweets. (laughs) This digital wallet will be launched on a trial basis after the summer of 2022. Obviously, no one will be forced to participate. Yes. <laughs> Those who wish will give their consent by downloading and using the special application, and I think many will join us. We want them to understand that they're not losers, but that their behavior is rewarded. I mean, like, we went from Italy to Sweden <laughs> to Holland. Which country are we in? I, Which knows? Bologna is it? I know. It's where the Bolognese come from. Is it like the Bolognese just outside of Stockholm? Or the one just outside of Amsterdam. Ah, who knows? I just try and shoot the juice. Just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Social credit scores in Europe. Let's see how it pr- how it um, materializes. Maybe there'll be a backlash. But anyway, I thought it was important to talk about yeah. to uh, make people aware of because it's uh, there's no English reporting of this. It's all uh, I to translate from French. <laughs> In the French magazine or Italian. Right, let's move on. Um, how could none of you have told me that Celebrity Mastermind is back on the screen? Uh, uh, yeah. so, so I don't watch live television anymore. No. <laughs> I watch I have sports and that's it. 
well, you, you failed me. Mm. Uh, mm. I think it's just Lester. There was, uh, I found that it was on, and there's bloody 11 episodes. So you had to go, you had to watch 11 episodes oh, of Celebrity Mastermind to no. put out the uh, funny bits. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. Maybe you producers could do that for me. Yeah. Send some timestamps. But yeah, I watched the first episode and fast forward all the nattering, the bullshit, you know, where they talk about themselves. There was someone, yeah, there's been some bad ones, hasn't there? Well, how how do you think you're going to open on episode one, your first, <clears throat> re, your return to uh, Celebrity Mastermind? There he is. And our next contender, please. Your name? Jackie Weaver. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you have no authority here, Jackie. She didn't, though, did she? Your occupation? Council officer. Your chosen charity? Cheshire Community Action. And your specialist subject? What's the specialist subject for Jackie Weaver? Authoritarian states. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't. This is the vice chair's here. I take charge. I take charge. <laughs> Will you stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> What's the specialist subject going to be, Ben? <clears throat> oh, I've no idea. Uh, if you get this right, I'll give you um, a thousand pounds. Oh, God. Uh, I've no idea. Double glazing. <laughs> you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. The Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. The Chronicles oh, of Riddick. Wow. Yeah, the Vin Diesel films. The films or the... <laughs> yeah, the films. Not even... The, I assume it's based on a comic or something, isn't it, that? Is it Ben? No. Come on, Ben. Uh, I think it's based on... Uh, it's a series of books, I think. Is it books? Right, okay. I think so. Well, no, it's uh, just the movies. It was the movies, yeah. Fucking hell. The Chronicles. I think there's only two. That's probably maybe why she's done it. I think yeah. there's only two, isn't there? Two films. I think there was a sequel. Is it the one where there's darkness? And he's got, like, weird eyes. Oh, yeah. three. So it's Pitch Black. Right. Pitch Black, Pitch. then The Chronicles of Riddick, and then wasn't there a third? Oh, right, okay. Judy yeah, The Light, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, Judy Dench is in it, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Absolute trash. Garbage <coughs> films. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, sticking on uh, celebrity question time. What's it called? Celebrity Mastermind. I've got a, a question for you. A zonkey is the hybrid offspring of a donkey, and which other equine mammal? A zebra. A zebu. Zebu. What is that? An equine mammal? I've never heard of one of those. A zonkey is the hybrid offspring of a donkey, and which other equine mammal? Donkey, zebra, zonkey. You're correct. It's zebra. Yeah, zebra. Yeah. No, Donkey, zebra. zebra, zonkey. Zonkey. I've never seen... I didn't think you could breed zebras with other things. Well, they're undomesticable, aren't they? Maybe that's Super why wild. I'm getting confused. Yeah, you can't domesticate them for some reason. Well, according to Jared Diamond in Guns, Germs and Steel, yeah. he says that uh, zebras are too wild to be domesticated. That's why... Um, you know, the people in Africa never managed to domesticate them. That's why they had such a disadvantage, <clears throat> whereas the Europeans had horses and such. 
Well, um, you know, uh, is there not something about selective breeding as well when it comes to sort of making them more domesticable, more amenable? Yeah. Got to pick, right, well, this zebra that comes up to me and wants me to feed it. Yeah, apparently there are some animals. Just don't have it. <laughs> don't have it in them to... Uh... What about hippos? Imagine, imagine domesticating a hippo. Yeah. Yes. Ride that into battle. On wa- underwater. Uh, well, it's like the, the war elephants. They were more trouble than they were worth. By all you accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Just Alex, ask Hannibal. Ask Hannibal, yeah. Or, or Alexander the Great. Mm. If they turned around, you were fucked. <laughs> you trample your own troops. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Hannibal the Cannibal. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you've, oh, you're well past the Punic Wars, aren't you? Oh, yeah. That's like <laughs> fucking... So, yes. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're into... Uh, I think Augustus is he's turned into Augustus and he's died. So, uh, or he's de- in the process of di- no, all of his, all the Julian people children have died, and he's had to kill all of his family because they were all shagging everyone. So as Avantino uh-huh. and Cleopatra died as well. Oh, that was yeah, that was, that was ages ago. Oh, it's, it's, it's like Augustus. it's like at the very end of his life now oh, in his seventies. Um, so yeah, I think he basically just brought in Tiberius from the cold. The cold. Um, because the two lads died. Yeah, he was out. He was quite a successful general, wasn't he? He was out fighting in uh, Syria, maybe. Um, well, he 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 banished him, didn't he? Because I, I I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was him that he asked him to remarry, but he didn't want to. <coughs> I can't remember if that was him or the other one. <laughs> There's mm. two of them, isn't there? Um, and eventually, he has to get him back in. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's enough of celebrity mastermind, I think, isn't it? Yeah, an ancient Rome. Yeah. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. What do you make of Netflix? Netflix are tanking. Well, yeah. they, they say that in the in the the old mainstream media, mm-hmm. but they've lost two hundred thousand subscribers. Um, they have, um, but they've lost seven hundred thousand in Russia because they're no longer providing a service there. So really, I don't think those numbers are actually accurate. I don't think they've really lost. They had 50 billion wiped off the market value. Yeah, it's because um, it's the first time they've posted um, a loss of subscribers, isn't it? In a quarter. Um, I would say I think they're in big trouble because they've lost all the decent IP. They've lost all the Disney, Star Wars. They're losing all the things that they... Yeah, I mean, what have they got? I mean, straight... Next week. Pardon? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how much mass appeal that has. I'm thinking, you know, they need something like another Stranger Things. Yeah. You know, which was great, the the first season, and then it just fucking tanked. It just went downhill, and the third season's coming out soon, and it's like... Who cares? Does anyone care about Stranger Things Season 3? No, I... I don't think so. I mean, I think they, they make some very strange choices around um, what they cut and what they don't. Um, like, like the OA. Yeah. I can't believe they cut that after two. But it, no. it must be, be, be sort of around the viewing figures, but you just wonder, you know, if they leave something on, I suppose it is on now, and they can always reverse it about, you know, how that kind of continues, how many people stream that on a lower level kind of thing. You know what I mean? Rather than it being billions and billions. But the other thing that I was fucking shocked about um, was 
that red notice was the most expensive project ever. It cost $250 million to make. It's like the Ryan Reynolds Gal Gadot film. And The Rock, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, dog shit. And it's awful. Yeah. It's like a proper bad film. And I just can't believe it. It cost $250 million. They've got, they've just got too much money sloshing around. But they don't make a profit. They do. Yeah, six billion. Really? Yeah, in the last year. Yeah, yeah. They, they start turning a profit now. Right. Six billion was the net profit, I think. Right. I thought they were still losing money. No, I'm well, unless I read it wrong, I read that they, last year they'd made six billion. Right. We, I've uh, got my way. It's going. We're getting rid of it. Oh, right. Okay. There's no on it. Nothing anyone watches. Oh. Really? What are the people are sponging your password off you? It's what, shit, isn't it? This is what they're saying, isn't it? They said they're going to start cracking down on it. So they're going to link your account to your... Is it your IP address? See, this is how I thought. My missus said, how are they going to police that? And I thought, mate, oh, that's what I thought. It'd be something to yeah. do with IP address. And she went, well, what about when you go on holiday to caravan? <laughs> that's true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you can't not take me Netflix with me. I wonder if it's got, like, wow. they'll limit you to a certain amount of IP addresses so you can have one, and then, you know, if you go on holiday. But then... then hey, I've got fucking eight houses, man. <laughs> well, yeah, and the other thing is, is your phone, isn't it? Your phone. So loads yeah, of people, phones, kids watch tablet. it on the, and are out and about, and that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Yeah, can't you... TV in the kitchen, TV mm. in the bedroom, TV in the TV room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And can't you use, can't you watch Netflix over 4G? Yeah. So yeah. that's not IP related. So no, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they're going to f- work it, really. I no. think there'll be ways around it. Mm. But even so, I mean, I just think it's shit. I don't think there's out decent on it anymore, so. I mean, it has, I been, it has it. been a bit of a dearth, I would say, over the last few months. There's not been anything like, I mean, the only thing I'm, I'm watching, but it's not something that they make, that's AMC's Better Call Saul. Which is obviously, it's been excellent all the way through. And the thing is, like, there are ways of watching these things for free. Definitely, Which I yes. don't condone. But also, if you're paying whatever it is, 15 quid a month, mm. and there's only one season, one thing you want to watch, why not just buy the DVD? Or you can pay for it on Amazon, can't you, per right. episode? Yeah. yeah. But maybe, well, you probably wouldn't for a Netflix, like Ozark is a, net, is a proper Netflix thing isn't it that they've made but even Ozark um, that was supposed to be six seasons and they've cut that back down to four so it's I don't know what they kind of you know what they think is going to get the money but like there's loads of dating programs on there and stuff <laughs> like that have you not seen those oh, on it. Um, like yeah and I don't, I don't know if they're Netflix things or they've bought them from they're a, from a you know you know what Netflix need to uh, buy? The IP they should be buying. Mm. Should be buying Romeo and Duet. Starring oh, Oti Mabusi. Fuck me. So, oh, I Rome- like Oti Mabusi, but I do not like that show. <laughs> Romeo and Duet viewers weren't impressed with the format of the new dating show as its first episode aired on Saturday night, April the 16th. Oti Mabusi was leading the dating come singing show in her first solo presenting performance. The former Strictly Come Dancing professional dancer and Dancing on Ice judge hosts the show, which sees singles try to bag a date 
by winning over fellow singletons with a karaoke song. The two matched couples then go off on a date to learn a duet together, which they perform to the studio audience. And the pair who win the vote go on another date. I mean, as far as TV show concepts go, I mean, it should just be a nailed-on winner. Why Why is it not working out? Um, because it's it's trash. It's absolute <laughs> trash, isn't it? It's awful. Um, it sounds awful. It probably was awful. Um, it's that stuff on Saturday night, isn't it? It's just all that fluff. What happened to light take en- me out? <laughs> light entertainment, basically. I think it's still going. It's just got to, you know, record it, haven't they? I wonder if we've hit, like, the like the bottom, the bottom of the barrel with Scrapes. Romeo and Duet. Uh, no. We, we could say that every year, and we, be, and we do. There'll be a naked And then version. there's a new bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Naked duet in the jungle. I was just looking up something that because we were talking about Netflix, which is this is a um, have you heard about this program called Old Enough? It's a Japanese one, and apparently it's been, oh, yeah. it's been going for decades in Japan. And what they do is they get like a toddler, three, four year old, maybe not quite a toddler, but um, and they gave they give them a task to do. So like go like. Mile, well, not miles away, but really far away by themselves, like a shop, and get something or deliver something. But they set it up so this child is like constantly being watched, but he doesn't know and filmed and all the rest of it. And they tell everybody in the neighborhood that this child's going to be wandering alone. Um, and they go and do this task basically. Um, <clears throat> and they send them out on their own and they basically secretly film them. I thought that sounded quite interesting. And also weird and yeah, scary. Yeah, it takes them a full year to set up, doesn't it? Because yeah. they have to get the route, the, mm-hmm. the where they think the kid's going to go and set all the cameras up and make yeah. sure everyone's obviously I assume, aware of what's going on. Yeah, and uh, I assume they must follow the child and all the rest of it. But apparently it's been going for like 40 years or whatever in Japan. Wow. Program. That's, that's on Netflix. I mean... All right, it's not something I would watch, I don't think, but you've got to give them credit for, like, an original concept for a TV show. Yeah, I mean, but that's something they've, uh, you know, it's from Japan and it's weird. Yes, (laughs) definitely. What was the uh, weird Japanese game show? (laughs) What was it? Takeshi's Castle. Castle. I mean, they're all weird, aren't they, as far as I can tell. What was the other... Yeah. There was well, I mean, well, Banzai, that's it. Banzai. I mean, the other thing as well is that, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet, uh, Romeo and Duet even, and they, what are they thinking when they sort of read about that? <laughs> yeah. <know>. Money. <laughs> How yeah. can we make a bit of money? Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Is that it? Have you run out of stuff? I've got, I've got one last thing, obviously. Oh, you're just saving it, are you? I was, oh. going, to, I was going to get Amish oh. Annabelle out again, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> 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 Where are we going to set her up? Down, going to have her on she's, the... just, she's going to be stay down there, and then when it's time to do the housekeeping, she's going to come out. All right, that's a good. I like that. Good plan. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah that's good. Slightly creepy. Good. <laughs> yeah. I hope the dog don't find us. Slightly. <laughs> yeah. I'll, pu- I'll put her up out of the way when we're going, but right. she'll just stay by my knee um, like a good girl mm. until the housekeeping time. 
I've been saying that a lot around the house and it's been creeping my wife out. What, Amish um, hamster? Uh, no, um, just about my creamy hamstrings. I've got, oh. I've got a stiff, I've got a tight hamstring. <laughs> stiff what? A stiff hamstring, yeah. What have you been doing to get um, stiff Sat- hamstrings? Uh, just one, it's my right one. How on earth, what have you been doing to get one I don't string, know. hamstring? Have you been playing football? No, I do. Without I, me? I go, I go, go, jog, <laughs> I go jogging, don't I, on the treadmill. So I don't know if... Oh, you've got a treadmill. Oh, I've this for years. It's only for like a decade. Oh, I thought you ran on the streets. No, like, um, not like an animal. <laughs> an, an animal. <laughs> I do it in a, in a safe, contained space in my garage. <laughs> Go out and in the fresh air. I like to breathe in the asbestos roof. And... You might bump into a four-year-old trying to complete a task. <laughs> exactly, I know, yeah. <laughs> a Japanese four-year-old. <laughs> yeah. God, that is putting him far away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might need to go to B&M bargains for a swimming pool yeah. in England. We're just trying to keep people safe. <laughs> keep the four-year-old safe. Yeah, I know. But it's weird. It's like, it's right up in my ass. Mm. Is it, what's up in your ass? The hamstring, Annabelle, and it, but then it kind of radiates all the way down my leg. So I don't know if it's it is my hamstring or I've got sciatica. sciatica that, yeah, that if I've got sciatica, uh, yeah, nerve damage, yeah. permanent yeah. probably. Yeah, no, because it goes <laughs> it goes after a couple of days. So right, okay. I don't know if it's just from like the pounding. I'm quite heavy footed on the old treadmill. Um, so I don't know if it's like compacting my lower spine. <laughs> so what? Are you, are you, are you, it's usually the way you sit in sciatica. If, yeah. you, if your posture's not, great. I don't, that might be the other thing I'm thinking is the way I'm sitting on the sofa in the evening. I'm kind of like this, and I've got this leg up. But then the other thing as well is, do you know, there's like certain ways. I don't know if you ever looked into this, but there's certain ways that you have a body position to go to sleep. So, so oh, you know how I normally sleep. Well, the thing is, what do you do? You call between the devil and the rock at a hard place. That's no, that's a rubbish one too. <laughs> but, uh, so, like, some people will uh, fall asleep in the fetal position, famously, you know, on the side, legs tucked up. Um, some people fall asleep just on their back. Some people on the front. Mm. There's a starfish. very yeah, the starfish wankers. Um, <laughs> but there's a very small percent subset, like myself that fall asleep like this. What are you, what are you doing? I have my well, left... That's my Yeah, I have my left leg, like, straight out, and then I get my right leg, and I place the bottom of my foot on the side of my left knee. You make a pee. And I make a pee with my groin. I rose. You know, yeah, it's the hanged man from the tarot. And it is the hanged man. So I don't know if it's that as well, going to sleep like that, and that kind of gives me this pulling sensation in my hamstring. Why on earth do you sleep like that? I, I, it's a little bit to do with my balls. Um, oh, is this since the no, it's, surgery? No, no, no. I've always kind of done it where I've gone oh, to man. sleep. man! <laughs> I've done the... Uh, done the... Uh, with that. Here's more from Dick Pound. <laughs> <laughs> Put my foot on my knee. Right. Um, but I have to say, it's hard <laughs> right now. I have to um, sort of air them out. It feels better. Air your balls out. Right, um, okay. Just shave them, man. <laughs> no, well, they get, they get sweaty. I'm a very sweaty person, so right. 
Um, the the pubic hair helps with the swaying. If I'm I don't think that's true. I think you're lying. I think the pubic hair insulates your your sweating no, balls. No, 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 man. I bet if you shaved your balls, there'd be like horrific, like dry, horrible, dry patches of like <laughs> because you know it's so sweaty and and uncouth and just. But poor grooming technique. Just shave your balls for fuck's sake. Man up. Right, so, you know, if anybody <laughs> wants to actually um, compare mine and Phil's faces on this live stream um, and say who's the, the, the most unkempt of the two of us, <laughs> Mr. Pubebeard here I'm versus not, uh, me. I'm virtually, like, clean shaven. I'm yeah, clean. No, not where it counts, though. <laughs> I mean, have you ever shaved your balls, like, yeah. with, a, with a bick? Have you ever bicked? Oh, no, I wouldn't... Uh... I wouldn't oh, risk. God. I wouldn't risk the boys. I had to do that. Bit. I had to do that pre-surgery, so I know what it's like. Yeah. No. Did they not the have? A, did they not have a, a pre-op scrub assistant do it for you? Yes, yeah, she was reading the Daily Mail in the corner online. Yeah. How was that? How was uh, having a strange woman? It's in the corner reading the paper. Oh right, did she not uh, have to touch you? She didn't do anything. Basically, like I came in for the for the operation. Yeah. He went right. Get on the. Right. <laughs> so take you take your bottom half on. He you came, didn't know I wish Matt was transitioning, did you? No. Yeah. He said take your bottom half off <laughs> and go and lie down over there. And I went right. Okay. And like the woman went all right. And she was just like clicking around, buying some shit off Amazon, and then reading the Daily Mail. <laughs> She was a nurse, by the way, um, like scrub, in scrubs. Mm. He came flying in in his fucking golf stuff. Golf. Um, the only thing was missing was like spikes off his shoes. Um, oh. He has like a golf top on, golf pants. I get on the thing. Um, at this point, like, um, I, like I was, I was, I was nervous because they were going to operate on my testicles. <laughs> so. Um, when I get nervous, my penis shrivels. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That old chestnut. And, that uh, old walnut. Yeah. I mean, I'd have been happy. I would have been happy if it was the size of a walnut, mate. Oh, my God. It wasn't even the size of an acorn at this point. It was, it was, practically, it was practically, it had gone back inside me. It was just like a flap of skin. One is a finkle. And then the woman goes, Oh, it's a bit warm in here, isn't it? So I'll open a window. And it oh, goes, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, Never seen that again. <laughs> so it got even colder. And then he puts the uh, iodine wash on around the groin. And he fucking dosed that on. Jesus. That was freezing cold as well. Did he take charge? No, the carpet was the vice chairs here. I take charge. <laughs> he did. And then he um, he castrated me. Oh my god! Well, wow. how humiliating! And, he, and don't believe what they say; it does hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot, but a little. Well, I think that's a good place to end. But I have one more story. Okay, shall we get it quick? Okay, uh, this is. Uh, from the bank holiday, Easter bank holiday, Sto- Snowdonia mountain path covered in human feces. Oh, this is my story. Uh, One of Wales' most popular mountain paths was covered in human stools and litter as visitors flocked to the area for Easter, a mountain guide has said. 
Snowden guide Gemma Davies said she, she even caught a man defecating on the mountain's railway line. She said she was totally disgusted at the state of the Lamberis path on Saturday morning with stools in paper cups and under stones. <laughs> at least they put it in a cup. <laughs> Snowdonia National Park Authority said nothing unusual had been reported. It's not unusual. <laughs> so I find shits on the railway. Uh, with Wales' temperature higher than in Greece, Turkey and the south of Italy, visitors flock to the beaches and national parks across Wales. Miss Davis, who led a sunrise hike up Wales' highest mountain on Saturday, said the problem was so bad she was having to warn people to mind the poo. She claimed toilets at the summit were closed along with the cafe and there was no toilets open at the bottom uh, after the seven-hour hike. There was lots of stools in paper cups, under stones, and as we were descending, it was on the path, she said. As she and a group of visitors were descending, they were stunned at what they saw. I caught a guy doing the toilets on the railway line. <laughs> he quickly pulled up his pants and tried to make a quick getaway. But I don't... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd already seen it. My group had already seen it, and we had to walk past it. The shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, Snowdonia National Park Authority said the visitor centre at Snowdon Summit was closed for repairs, but that all other facilities in the area were open. A spokesman said, It is a mountain, it isn't an attraction. People need to take that into account. Mm. So, if you go walking in the really? woods today, you might find, may find a turd in a cup, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> or under a rock. Yeah. Well, the thing is, what you do, you're caught between the devil and a rock at a hard place. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> you caught between a devil and a turd place. <laughs> Covid. <clears throat> right, shall we fuck off into the night on this wonderful evening? Yeah. Yeah. Shame about the uh, live stream and the internet and the camera breaking and everything, but... Yeah, so we've not, had, we've not been able to interact with our fans, have we? No, what a shame. Hopefully it will be rectified next week, but... Mm. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows, yeah. Who knows? Uh, no one knows. To find out. <laughs> yeah, good. I hope you're entertained anyway. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Right, we'll sign off. Mm. See you next week. Bye. I praise Jablon, by the way. Yeah. Epstein didn't. McAfee himself. I love you. You, you are extremely cool, guys. Don't you take it out of I leaned over. Mine one is Jesus Christ. Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is a man. I can't have children with. Literally a communist. You know, you know the old adage Applehood and Mother Pie. Eat food, not too much, mostly. Donkey, zebra, zonkey.